1: Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. Today's cool fact of the day is about ringing in the ears. If you've ever gone to a loud concert or had exposure to like an airplane engine and your ears are ringing, you've had a symptom of inner ear damage, which is also known as tinnitus. That's the perception of ringing or buzzing or roaring, clicking, whistling, and whatnot when there isn't actually a sound there. The normal explanation for this is that your ears have tiny little hairs called cilia that move based on the different pressures of the sound waves that travel through them. That is something that then triggers your auditory nerve to send a signal to your brain, which then says, hey, I heard something. And it's true, if you damage those hairs, they can get broken and they can send the wrong signals into your brain, which can make the ringing sound. But the other thing that biohackers know can cause a ringing sound is actually jaw tension, believe it or not. If you have excess tension in your jaw that affects your trigeminal nerve, one of the side effects of that is ringing in the ears. So it can happen from the nerves or it can happen from the hairs in your ears. Either one works. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today we have a really good interview with John Kiefer, a software geek turned exercise physiologist can you say biohacker? Kiefer, as he goes by, uses his knowledge of systems thinking to improve human performance. Today, we talk about his unique system of nutrient timing called carb backloading. If you're one of those people who wants to gain as much muscle as you can with a minimum amount of fat or just maintain a healthy weight without driving yourself crazy, there are some methods in the show that may very well be right for you.
2: Now we're going to have our exclusive interview with John Kiefer on carb backloading.
3: We have John Kiefer, who goes by Kiefer, who's an exercise scientist, a nutrition expert, and author of the new book, Carb Backloading. Kiefer applies his knowledge from a career in physics to hack the human body for fat loss, muscle gain, and improved performance. So you guys can all tell why we would invite Kiefer on the show. He's another biohacker. He writes about his work at DangerouslyHardcore.com. He's the author of The Carb Night Solution and is releasing a new book that's designed for rapid fat loss and muscle gain. Kiefer is coming on Upgraded Self Radio to help you do what some people call alchemy, burning fat and building muscle at the same time. Kiefer, welcome to the show.
4: Thanks. Appreciate the invite.
3: Tell us, how did you get interested in diet and health in the first place?
4: Uh, Just kind of, it seems to be a typical story in this industry, but just grew up as um, a very portly kid. My parents had no idea about nutrition, so it was breakfast, breakfast cereals, and then that led to me watching TV a lot and eating loaves of bread. My mom actually stopped buying butter because I'd go in and sneak a bite off of the stick of butter in the refrigerator uh, whenever I had the opportunity, so... I just didn't have the the best eating habits. You know, I started off in private school and everybody knew each other. It wasn't a bad, big deal. I was just chubby and didn't understand what that was until I went to public school. And my first year there, I was maybe in public school a month. Classroom was real quiet. And this one, one student, basketball player, just stands up, points at me and says, You're fat. And the whole class started laughing, and that was the first time I, I realized I was the fat kid. And so that just kind of embarrassment and heckling, uh, I, I decided that I didn't want to be the fat kid anymore. So I, you know, about 13 is when I just became really aware and started. Probably had a few bad dieting habits, and none of that was working. So it just, you know, always being curious about everything, it just led me to read, and you know trying to figure out different things to do.
3: So it sounds like a familiar story. Um, you know, Being the fat kid myself, I, I hit 300 pounds by the time I was done with college, but I was pretty big growing up. Uh, it, it's amazing. Kids, uh, teenagers, uh, will do the same things that adults will do to try and lose weight, because you know nobody likes it. And, and it's not a lack of willpower. Um, it's lack of good advice uh, from, from where I've arrived. It, it's actually kind of painless to lose weight if you just actually have the truth. So I'm I'm really hoping that you can help share some of what you've learned to deal with the problem on the show. Let's start by what is car backloading, the the big topic of your new book. And you kind of mentioned how you thought of it, but give us more details about the background and just tell us what it is and why it matters.
4: Well, it's it's actually very simple. Um, Most people do the opposite of what it takes to lose weight. They eat carbohydrates in the morning because the body's more sensitive to insulin. So the logic is that if you're eating carbohydrates, when your body's sensitive to insulin, it can use them better. Well, insulin's not really there to help you use the carbs. It's there to help your body store them. And, you know, in certain performance instances, it will help you use them. For example, long aerobic events, endurance events. I remember when I used to cycle... You know, go on 100 mile rides. I was definitely consuming carbohydrates during those rides, and they allowed me to finish them in pretty good times. But for most people who are sedentary, that's the absolute wrong thing to do. So then, of course, later in the evening, you're carb insensitive, which is when they tell you not to eat carbs because they build up in the bloodstream and not all your tissues can use them efficiently and they can. <clears throat> basically kind of burn out your nervous system a little bit. But if you train in the afternoon, you can actually cause your muscle tissue to continue using sugar while stopping your fat cells from being able to store it. So insulin becomes a different player in the evening if you can train at the right time. So carb backloading is simply, you don't eat carbs during the first half of the day. You basically ignore all the health experts out there And then at night, after you train, you can eat a lot of carbs and not gain body fat, actually gain muscle mass and lose body fat. So that's the gist of carb backloading. And it's important because it just makes dieting stupid simple. Uh, I mean I've had people comment – you know, I don't think I understand anything about what Keefer's saying, but I've already lost 15 pounds and five inches on my waist. You know, it, it just makes the whole process that simple by a, a, a relatively small change.
3: So I, I really like that because mm-hmm. I have also experimented with, with carb timing and people who are doing a bulletproof fast will have no carbs in the morning. And I've noticed that I can have very significant amounts of carbs at night, like, you know, bucketfuls of rice if I want to, and I just keep on with the muscle, keep on with uh, you know, not, not gaining fat from it versus having it in the morning where there is a difference. What about, though, I mean, if you're eating carbs, doesn't that affect things like ketosis, you know, the, the fat-burning mode that we're in to help us burn fat?
4: Well, yes. And, you know, in the evening, you're going to obviously limit your ability to go into ket. Keep- ketosis, but ketosis is not a major player in fat burning at any one time. I can't remember the exact statistics, but ketones for an entire day, let's say you were, you were able to stay ketotic through the entire day. Um, never account for more than I, I think it's four or 5% of energy needs. So they're not a, a huge player in burning fat. You can burn ample amounts of fat, um, just through the fatty acid cycle and and using fatty acids, you don't need a, a large buildup of ketones to to burn body fat. So, in the evening, you actually still have um, accelerated fat burning from the window that's the metabolic window that's created from your resistance training.
3: So, do you only do this on days when you're resistance training?
4: Not necessarily, no. This question brings up a great point. It's hard for me to ever give concrete answers because, you know, as you know, so much of how your body reacts to food is dependent on everything from what you ate earlier that day to what you literally ate the day before to your stress levels that day. So it's always really hard for me to give, especially when people ask me what I do. It's hard for me to give any kind of concrete answer.
3: I, plus, um, let's face it, your your background is in physics. I mean, quantum theory, I mean, the, the answer is always it depends, right? I, I, I'm with you there. And when I coach people, it, it, there's always 10 questions you ask someone before you give them the definitive answer. So I, I'm, I'm completely understanding what you're saying there. Um, then what makes carb backloading different from what people already do after they work out? I mean, aren't you're supposed to have carbs after you work out anyway.
4: Yeah, a part of it is you're trying to use the day to enhance what those carbohydrates do. So normally, when you eat carbohydrates immediately after training, you're you're getting an insulin spike, which is important for growth. But you're also replenishing glycogen stores. Um, the problem is that window normally only lasts. You're, you're replenishing glycogen stores only lasts a couple hours. And then after that, depending on the time of day, the, the carbohydrates may or may not be burned off through wasteful thermogenic processes. And that's one thing that carb backloading, it just it forces you to eat them in the part of the day when your so body
2: is far less efficient at storing
4: them. It will throw off a lot more heat than normal. So that effect in itself helps prevent a lot of fat storage.
3: Okay, that makes sense.
4: Definitely. And I think that's a big misunderstanding in the industry is that you need carbs to fuel the workout. It turns out if, if you go the majority of the day or well, the first half of the day without carbohydrates and your A, your body has no problem maintaining blood sugar levels, at least what it needs. And then B, your body actually responds quicker to exercise as far as uh, the sympathetic nervous system. You release adrenaline faster. Your body is more sensitive, particularly to the fat-burning properties of adrenaline, and you get bigger rushes of adrenaline. So there's three very large positive fat-burning effects that you get just by not eating carbs before you work out and and training a little later in the day.
3: So you're saying there are no benefits from eating carbs before you work out?
4: Correct. Correct.
3: Excellent. All right. That's a definitive statement, and I could not agree more with it. By the way, I, I, it drives me nuts when people go out and you know, have a banana for energy before they go lift weights. It's like, what are you doing? You're not helping yourself in any way, in, in any way shape, or form. And like, Don't waste your time because you could be doing something more important. Uh, I, I love that. All right. We, we totally are in great alignment on that.
2: Speaking of that, what kind of carbs do you use for carb backletting or what kind of foods in general?
4: That really depends. i you know, I'm still. I have a hard time denying my fat kid nature. So uh, often for car backloading, I'll go towards cherry turnovers every once in a while. Well, no, more than once in a while. Uh, donuts sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you know, it it varies. Cookies are always a, a good one for me. And then I'll I'll have those days where I just obviously I don't feel like eating crap all the time. And I'll eat a little cleaner, like, well, cleaner French fries. Um, sometimes my favorites, baked sweet potato with coconut oil and cinnamon all mixed together. It's still kind of, it's kind of that sweet candy taste, but it's just, it's one of the best combinations that i found for people on carb backloading. Um, the MCTs from the coconut oil help to sustain fat burning. Um, You get a nice insulin release from the sweet potato, and you also get excellent carb storage from it.
3: It's kind of funny. Uh, I mean, I've gone through and done a a huge amount of research for the Bulletproof Diet around anti-nutrients and toxins and kind of the statistical occurrence of them in foods and looked for the sources of carbs that have the least toxins that that basically make your body go in the opposite direction of what you want. And Mm -hmm. one of my top three choices would be sweet potatoes uh, or yams. And uh, we eat quite a lot of those. I I mean, you can turn them into French fries without actually frying them and damaging the oils. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's one of the top carbs, I'd say. But in terms of stuff like, you know, cookies and, you know, other things like that it sounds like you're pretty much not too worried about the negative effects of gluten and all that other stuff on on physiology because you're you're just looking for the muscle gain versus like mental performance or something like some of those foods you're eating sound like they might kind of clog things up
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it, it's funny i actually pick them a little bit according to how much gluten i do I'm sure you know the statistics, like 50% of people have some sort of allergic reaction to gluten, whether it's an extreme response or just, you know, some uh, intestinal inflammation. And pastries, like uh, cherry turnovers, the real flaky doughs and cookies, that flour is more gluten depleted. Yes. As opposed to, you know, breads or, I, I don't eat donuts very often. Every once in a while I have a craving, but you know, I I try to go go for those lower gluten things because my body reacts so much. It's th- that's one thing I love about all this is I know exactly when I screwed up. I know when I ate something that claimed to be something that it's not because I I can read all the signs that my body gives now. And at, at first I didn't understand why cherry turnovers. I, I mention them a lot because they're just kind of my go-to. They're really simple. They're easy to find. Um, if I don't have time to prepare or what it is I I would really want, then they're just they're easy for me, and I didn't understand it until I started looking at the gluten and I you know I didn't know that pastry flour was gluten depleted. I was totally clueless.
3: It's also not just that. It's because when you're eating a pastry like that, um, they're not using yeast the same way. Uh, and the, the amount of yeast and the type of yeast matters dramatically for what kind of response you get from things like that. Uh, for instance, okay. if you were to go to Europe, the next time you're there, you know, try having... Uh, any of the pastries that you'll find in France and you'll probably find since you're in tune with your metabolic responses you can feel them the same way I can you'll find that there's a very big difference based on what happens with flour and yeast from Europe versus from the US and you know, it, it's amazing how detailed our bodies are in understanding this stuff but uh, I don't know I, I would tell people you know if you're trying to lose fat probably any form of turnover with wheat in it is probably not your best bet uh, but you can do some pretty darn good ice cream that will still work
4: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just had this conversation the other day because that was the first car backloading food was ice cream.
3: There are definitely worse things in life. I mean, um, we were actually just posting a recipe, I think, this week uh, for ice cream that actually – Turns up your hormone response to the point that it, it's one of it's called get some ice cream, and uh, we're talking about you know, ice cream as well as the okay. metabolic effects of having higher hormone levels an hour after you eat it. But it's mm-hmm. it's amazing. You know, you can you can use it with real sugar, you can use it with uh, other carb forms in it, and uh, yeah, you eat that at night, you feel good and you perform better and you lose weight, which sounds like your program is predicting. You know, getting getting some sugar later in the evening.
4: That's I'm gonna have to look up that recipe.
3: Oh, uh, we'll definitely share it with you. I think it's That's going okay. out this week. Now, here's another question for you. What's, what about supplements? I mean, you're a guy who's willing to eat cherry turnovers. By the way, I'm jealous. I love cherry turnovers, but they don't love me. So, like, what supplements do you use to take care of yourself? Uh, which, which ones are a waste of money? Which ones are really good? Like, mm-hmm. what's your take on those?
4: The two main ones that I always take, and I always try to convince other people to take, are fish oils, which, again, that's a mixed bag to find good good brands that are high-quality Uh, high concentration, and then a good source of whey isolate. Um, Those two, in my opinion, are indispensable, especially with the food environment that we live in today. And then, you know, I don't really subscribe to much else. Caffeine, I consider caffeine a supplement, even though some people consider it, you know, almost lifeblood. Um, And... That's about it. You know, Creatine, because it, it does have a lot of scientific backing and not so much for muscle size or strength gains, but uh, they're starting to find that it can limit the activation of myostatin, which is always – myostatin is uh, the you know, main regulator of uh, – one of the main regulators of muscle growth. If you produce too much or it's overactive, your muscles just won't grow and creatine seems to block some of those effects.
3: There's also there that lies. side benefit, it, if you're over 30, that it actually uh, raises your IQ in many cases, sometimes very substantially, like 10 point kind of things. So there's all sorts of mitochondrial reasons that you might look at creatine anyway. So I, that's, a, that's a good one. You mentioned whey isolate here. So I, I've i done enormous like personal testing and research on, on whey protein over the years. And I used I used to recommend in, in version 1.0 of the Bulletproof Diet I recommended isolate because it didn't have casein in it because people could tolerate it more, but mm-hmm. I found just from talking to people that isolate causes a lot more GI upset, and I found that low temperature process concentrate is way way more uh, comfortable for almost everyone to eat, and I'm launching upgraded whey which has like, I basically added a whole bunch more IgG to it than you can find it any other way. Much that in another 30 to 60 days, depending on a bunch of stuff. So, and I actually, Dr. Mercola uh, and I went kind of back and forth on that a little bit. And uh, before he uh, sort of copied my diet and put it on his site, uh, he did make a pretty clear case that he should put, uh, that concentrate ought to be up there higher than isolate in terms of, of benefits. Why do you recommend isolate?
4: That's interesting. Um, mostly because the a, a lot of the research is, I found that I'm basing that recommendation of is because of the antioxidant properties that whey isolate can fuel. Um, it, glutathione. You know, it's, you're saying exactly. Skyrockets levels of glutathione in the in the body, and you know that's there's tons of research both at the cellular level and macroscopically that show that it really helps decrease antioxidant effects uh, of free radicals, stops the damaging process. And I found that I always had a major problem with, I actually stopped supplementing with protein powders for a while because I was a a few years ago after I had a software job that was horrible, took me out of the gym for six months, working 90 hours a week. And when I came back, I was trying to get some of my size back quickly and i was using just over-the-counter whey isolates and i noticed that i had a lot of intestinal problems so i just stopped and i wasn't sure what it was and i started to use a u.s sourced whey isolate that was supposed to be higher quality you know what i found was when i did that i didn't have any of the intestinal i didn't have the gas or the bloating I definitely was not bombing the room like I used to. You know, people just could not spend evenings with me because my the gas was horrid. And when I made that switch, that all went away. So my thought was that it was the quality of what I was getting at the store and not the way I slid itself, but I didn't look deeply into that. So I'm I'm curious well, Is that excellent. what was found or yeah,
3: I found a lot of people had the GI problems from isolates and including mm-hmm. the, the protein farts, which are well known by weight loader, by, by, you know, heavy weight lifter types. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I can tell you that those really don't go well with my you know, vice president at a, <laughs> at a big software internet security <laughs> company. So uh, I actually do my upgraded whey protein every day with none of those problems, and I'm getting the glutathione effects and the protection effects. Mm-hmm. So what we'll do is uh, when we come out with the stuff, um, I mean, it, it's already Created. It's just a matter of getting all our labeling and stuff and stuff correct. I would love mm-hmm. to send you some and just you know see how how you tolerate it. I think you may be surprised. I certainly was. It's all grass fed, uh, you know, from grass fed cows from South America, mm-hmm. low temperature, all that kind of stuff. And I realized I had to be as precise with my whey protein as I did with my coffee if I wanted to just like feel good all the time without these weird things happening. But mm-hmm. I, I don't want to turn this into a whey protein thing because we're here really to focus on your carb backloading. And I know you're interested a lot in glute or GLUT activation. Can you tell our listeners about glute activation?
4: Yes. The, there's a big misconception with insulin, and I don't know if your audience has that necessarily, but the, the thought is you eat carbs and the insulin rushes out from your pancreas, and that, that actually pushes or is the carrier for glucose into cells which isn't really how it works. Your cells have these specialized protein structures called glucose transporters or glutes. And some of them are always present at the cell surface and in body tissue that always has those kind of sticking out into the, the fluids. They can just grab sugar and bring them right into the cell. You know, They don't need insulin. So, for example, your brain, your liver, your kidneys, they all have, uh, they express GLUT1, to one and two primarily or two and three always the the first three all kind of act act the same i believe all cells have glute one so all cells can use glucose to some degree two and three bind more strongly and can help nervous tissue and that tissue fuel itself without insulin and then muscle tissue and fat tissue has a different kind of glute glute four and also um an isoform, GLUT12, that it need the cell needs to come in contact with insulin before those GLUT proteins will come to the surface of the cell. So normally they're tucked inside and they never come in contact with glucose, so they can't bring it into the cell. But once they get hit with insulin, they translocate to the surface where they can then start grabbing and insul- or start grabbing glucose and bringing it into the cell. And GLUT Glute four, twelve, and actually five are the primary glutes in skeletal muscle tissue and fat tissue. So again, and those are our most insulin-sensitive tissues in the body.
2: So Kiefer, what it sounds like you're saying is that insulin signals glute activation, but the insulin itself is not actually pulling glucose into the cell.
4: That's correct. The the insulin's somewhat like the primer. It just – once cells come in contact with it, the glute can raise to the surface. They can grab the sugar and then use it. Without that, the glute stays tucked within the surface of the cell, and they can't use a lot of – well, at least skeletal muscle and fat tissue can't use or store a lot of sugar, and that's where diabetics come into – or type 2 diabetics have issues – and well, in type 1, if the – the insulin's not either not present or not causing a reaction to allow those glutes to translocate. And if they can't translocate, then the main tissue in your body that normally disposes of glucose can't. And then when that happens, other tissues have to compensate. For example, your kidneys, they become overstressed trying to process all the glucose. Um, Of course, kidney damage is very familiar in diabetic uh, research. And your liver tries as best it can to convert it into glycogen, and then your nervous system tissue is trying to overprocess as well, which again causes some of the neuropathy effects that are associated with diabetes.
2: So I know you're a big fan of resistance training, and you talk a lot of in your writing in that uh, Carb Backloading promo book that I thought was excellent and I hope all of our listeners read, but you talk about how resistance training is superior to aerobic training for activating these glucose transporters. Why is that, and do you think aerobic exercise can get the same benefit that resistance training can when paired with carb backloading?
4: Some why questions I can't answer. For example, why uh, why resistance training is superior. W- what is known is that heavy contractions of muscle tissue translocate glute far more extensively than aerobic exercise. So it's the intensity of the contraction that both increases concentration of glute and increases the amount that translocates without insulin. So that's what makes carb backloading – that's what makes resistance training so critical to carb backloading is that when you contract the muscle under load, it actually causes these glute 4 and glute 12 to translocate without insulin. So even without insulin around, all of a sudden your muscle cells can start using and soak up glucose. Unlike the fat cells, that does not happen when you resistance train. Um, Aerobic training, unfortunately, it it does cause some translocation but not extensive and can actually blunt the response of later resistance training to GLUT4 translocation. So you could – and I, know, I only know this because of uh, certain studies I'll talk about here in a second, but you could make aerobic training work with car backloading, but it wouldn't be as critical of a component. For example, they, they, did, this, uh, they did a study last year that I have found very interesting that kind of supports the entire car backloading regime and that they just took normal sedentary people. They didn't have them exercise at all in any way or deviate from their lifestyle, and all they did was they moved all their carbohydrates from the first half of the day and then allowed them to eat carbohydrates towards the end of the day. And this was a calorically deficit diet, so they they were trying to help these people lose weight. And the people that just ate carbs later in the day actually were able to lose more body fat and keep more muscle without resistance training. Um, so, so, there is just general support, and that's why I say you could make aerobic training work with it, but aerobic training would ultimately decrease the benefit according to how the effects that it causes the long term effects that it causes to cellular metabolism
3: That is actually incredibly detailed information, and I'm really stoked that our listeners are going to be able to pick up on on those differences. I can tell you the first time I wrote the words aerobics sucks was in about 1998 when I put up my first like anti-aging website where I'm like, just look at the difference in what it does for you cognitively and everything else. Um, that said, Bill Andrews made a pretty convincing case for some aerobics helping with uh, telomerase and the length of your telomeres. So there may be some anti-aging benefits there, but if you want to, like, look good (laughs) and you want muscles and you don't want to be fat, aerobics is probably the worst form of exercise from my perspective, and it sounds like you're you're along the same lines.
4: Yes. There there are, however, ways to do your aerobic exercise and get all the benefits. Like, for example, they've been able to correlate – um, cognitive function with age, with aerobic health, we can get all those benefits using it, HIT, which is high-intensity interval training. Yep. Yeah, and I mean your your workload over – you only need 30 minutes three times a week, um, and your actual the, – the amount of time that you have high output during that is three minutes total. And the mo- the rest of the time, you're just kind of walking or – pedaling you just need to sprint every 30 seconds out of 4 minutes for all the health benefits without any of the downside and yeah, I would much rather do that than waste my entire day on a bicycle
3: I always feel bad when i see sort of like the stereotypical you know people out on their lunch hour going for an hour long waddle obviously they don't have <laughs> they don't have a problem with motivation they're out doing it they're just doing something that doesn't work and and that's kind of a crime So speaking of that, lunch is not a good time for most people to train. A lot of people train in the morning. How would you do carb backloading if you're not an afternoon trainer, if you do it in the morning? What's up with with your ideas there?
4: You still get a lot of the positive benefits that allow it to work. Um, You get increased glute number, increased glute activation in in muscle cells. Muscles become more sensitive to insulin. But you can also kind of mimic what goes on during the day with caffeine. Um, Caffeine has this excellent benefit that is usually seen as something heinous but caffeine decreases insulin sensitivity so that means your fat cells and your muscle tissue when bathed with caffeine glutes don't translocate like they normally do when insulins introduced they actually stay tucked within the cells to a far greater extent well so you can mimic the daily circadian rhythm, by having your caffeine right before you work out first thing in the morning. So you have, you have your load of caffeine, you train, and then you can actually have a small load of carbs. You don't want to have a massive amount because you unfortunately will go right back into an insulin sensitive state within a couple hours. But have a small bit of carbs if your main focus is gaining muscle mass. And then later in the evening, you basically get to eat the same. You get to have some carbs. The The real difference is that the carbs you eat in the evening when resistance training, the amount depends on your training intensity, obviously. But they're also more to fuel your workout for the next day. They're not just recovery from training. So it, it kind of changes this idea of what's your off day when backloading. So normally an off day if you're training in the afternoon is you just didn't train that afternoon. If you're training in the morning an off day from car backloading is when you don't train the next morning. So even if you didn't train that day, but you're going to train the following morning, those are the days you backload.
3: Okay. So, so timing matters. And I'm guessing in your book, you have the full, the full sort of instructions for that. Now, I'm going to challenge you a little bit on on the use of
4: caffeine there. Okay.
3: And you may are you familiar with mTOR and what it does?
4: I am. A million target of rapamycin.
3: Exactly. So one of the things that people who are doing bulletproof fast, like I, I went two years with no exercise and five hours or less of sleep per night, and actually gained muscle and like got leaner because I was essentially mTOR stacking, which is, is one of the posts that we're writing up right now. And caffeine actually works with mTOR to help, help you with, with muscle gain. But if you use caffeine after workout, it doesn't have the same effect as it does if you use it before. If you have your espresso, then you work out, you get muscle growth. If you work out, then you have caffeine afterwards. It doesn't do the same thing. It actually decreases muscle growth. Hmm.
4: That's interesting.
3: Have you come across that? Um, I've got a link. Uh, no, uh, I would. Dr. Ori someone. I've got a link on one of my posts about it, but um, okay, uh, yeah, that I sounds like some – Okay, so like something we should take off, um, offline because uh, I mean, I'm really interested in what you're saying, and I don't know whether glutes or mTOR is, uh, is a more powerful effect, but uh, for people listening, <laughs> it's pretty clear that caffeine and, by, uh, by association, Bulletproof Coffee are going to have an effect on your exercise and fat loss no matter what you do, and certainly from a cognitive performance perspective, uh, anyone who's tried Bulletproof Coffee with grass butter in it knows exactly what that does.
4: That's yeah, because a lot of the caffeine loading recommendations that I make are pre-training, um, but but I do recommend caffeine post because of the glycogen resynth, resynthesis enhancement that it has, and I'm just really curious to see that research because that's also why I recommend like I that's another supplement I forgot to mention just because it's kind of newer in my little bag of tricks is leucine. I try to have everybody take supplement with leucine. Um, For for that reason, leucine is one of the few nutrient activators of the mTOR pathway. And it turns out glucose is another. That's why studies show that glucose can enhance muscle growth, can can potentiate it, but can't cause it. Uh, Leucine acts the same way without ingesting glucose. It can potentiate and activate that mTOR pathway, but leucine alone won't cause muscle growth. So I'm really curious to see to learn about that and know what the interference effects are, because that would definitely modify some of my recommendations.
3: Killer. I'll send you some of the research. And uh, I love having conversations. I hope everyone listening to this enjoys this sort of thing. But bottom line is we're we're dialing in here on exact recommendations based on observations of people, based on research, and trying to prioritize something and you don't have to get it perfect. If you make a decision that says, do I have a good cup of coffee or not a good cup of coffee today with my exercise, you're probably going to have benefits. And the question, whether you have it before or after it might give you 10% more or less benefits, uh, but we're hopefully steering people who are listening in the right direction to get the benefits and the outcomes that they're looking for. Uh, perfection is not a requirement.
4: It's just a goal. Right. Yeah. The, the, the real goal is getting maximum benefit with minimum effort. So, And you don't always have to be perfect for that.
2: So speaking of early morning nutrition, how can eating breakfast make it harder to lose fat? So like, why should people avoid eating carbs in the morning and maybe even avoid overall nutrition in the morning?
4: Waking up in the morning is one of the best things as far as fat burning is concerned that you can possibly do and everybody has to do it every day. And of course, I'm assuming uh, non-stressed, or non-extreme stress um, and somewhat normal sleep cycle, but when you wake up first thing in the morning, your body is primed to mobilize and burn body fat. And that's assuming you don't introduce anything to screw that up, which is food. Um, cortisol levels are elevated. You get they elevate naturally all through the evening, and they're highest when you first wake up. And most people think of cortisol as muscle destroyer, um, life destroyer, skin destroyer, you name it. But when it's able to do its thing naturally, it's actually just a catabolic hormone. That's it. It breaks tissue down into something simpler for fuel. That's all cortisol does. Um, if left on its own, its preference is to break down body fat, not muscle tissue. It only starts to activate the breakdown of muscle tissue, when insulin is present at the same time um in, insulin's kind of like this grand coordinator that can change aspects of so many different hormones and uh protein signalers in the body so if you keep insulin out of the picture and you don't introduce much food your body doesn't have a lot of choice and prefers to go to its body fat stores um and there, there's also other effects for example the cortisol um enhances uh ghrelin release and somebody challenged me on the pronunciation of that. So, Dave, do you know is that correct? Grelin, the hunger hormone produced by the, the gut.
3: I've heard it called grelin, but I couldn't mm-hmm. tell you for sure exactly what it is. I don't actually know that even people who are using it regularly in universities all say it the same way.
4: Right. Okay. Yeah. That somebody tried to convince me it was g Anyway, uh, that's a side note. <laughs> I've sounds never sounds heard like a, that before.
3: Sounds like the name of a gangster rapper to me day.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you know, Gralin uh, spikes shortly after you get up as well, and then that in turn, there's some controversy whether it actually causes the growth hormone release that follows about an hour to two hours after you wake. But again, that growth hormone response is blunted if you eat carbs, so, and of course, growth, growth hormone can help, uh, repair body tissue and also break down fat from fat cells and all that good stuff. So that's how you can burn more body fat by not eating first thing in the morning. And I guess the why of it as well. So in carbs really screw that up, um, small amounts of fat and even smaller amounts of protein don't have as great of an effect. But if you're introducing, it it also depends on the fat too much quick acting fat of which there are not very many varieties, basically medium chain triglycerides. Those can screw up the process. If you have a lot Um, regular fats like um, animal fats, most of the oils, they can take anywhere from two to five hours to get into your system. So you're not actually introducing, um, an exogenous fuel to the system that's going to screw it up. So that's how avoiding breakfast can help you burn fat.
3: That makes great sense. So if we're already talking about avoiding breakfast, I mean, isn't essentially are we getting to the, the areas of intermittent fasting, which is a quasi part of, of bulletproof faf- fasting. Um, is carb backloading something you use with intermittent fasting or not?
4: It's, it's not other than some people relate it because I, I recommend strongly skipping breakfast. But in general, if you look at the studies, particularly over long long durations, uh, say three, three days to a week, all the hormonal effects that happen from fasting are exactly paralleled by just not eating carbohydrates. So, for example, carb night, my, my first diet that's really just for shredding body fat, it hormonally is almost identical to intermittent fasting. Um, and that's one reason when you eat the carbohydrates once a week, your your body's just in this incredibly wasteful state and burns most of it off as heat, um, but re-energizes hormone levels. So you could think of intermittent fasting as, well, you could actually think of carb backloading or carb night necessarily as, as interfast, Intermittent fasting evolved. I think that's what I call it in my my carb backloading book, because you can get all the same effects, and you can get greater muscle retention and growth by continuing to eat, just not eating any carbohydrates whatsoever. Go ahead. I heard a sigh. Uh,
3: h- hallelujah is all I can say there. Uh, oh. Yes. Uh, <laughs> sorry, so I didn't mean to be sighing there. Just I think the microphone's oh, okay. a little close. But. Uh, Seriously, that that's uh, using those kinds of techniques, uh, specifically with not really doing a fast, but uh, including a lot of fat in the morning using Bulletproof Coffee. I, my, my sort of fastest success story now has been 75 pounds of fat loss in 75 days uh, without any significant amounts of exercise, just literally just completely dropping fat by stacking mTOR and doing what you're talking about here. Mm. Uh, the same sort of of plan. And it, it's so obvious that there's no excuse for people walking around with a hundred extra pounds of fat. It's, it's just cause they don't know that they could do this. I mean, two months of slight discomfort without a decline in cognitive function. If you do this right, you, you don't get cold and feel crappy like you do when you cut calories. I, I mean, I don't know why everyone isn't walking around looking good. Cause it's not that hard.
4: It, that's, that's the hardest message to get to people. Cause everybody, it, once you learn these things, it, makes life so easy. I People look at me all the time like I'm one of those just special genetically gifted people because of the things I'll buy in the grocery store or what they'll see me eat. And like It's not that. This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. And it makes it easy. And they just cannot fathom that it could actually be easy. They just can't do it. Mm-hmm. And And it's a shame. And it was interesting the comment you made earlier in the conversation about your your body is very finely tuned to all these little differences like the type of yeast used in the baked goods and the type of flour. But it, it's so, I, I would say, intelligent. They've done recent studies that I just thought were amazing. They took two meals. They were identical macronutrient breakdown. There was no difference in protein, fat, or carbohydrate levels in the two meals, um, they were basically a, a burger. One burger was pure fast food processing, so everything was incredibly processed. The meat started off as a paste that they later form and add beef flavoring to, all that kind of stuff. And the other meal was grass-fed beef. You know, the the materials were as had the least amount of processing possible. And the body had completely different hormonal responses to those two meals, even though all the macronutrients were identical the body instantly knew the difference in the two. And it, it amazes me that with information like that and nutrient timing and everything else that we're, we've been learning over the last 20 years, people still just think it's carbs, fat, protein. That's all you need to worry about. And I think those are the kind of things that make it difficult. People don't think of the body as having some sort of intelligence as to what environment it's in based on the food that you give it.
3: I always try to explain to people that if it was just about carbs, fat, and protein, that you could have a bowl of Black Widow Venom, which is a protein, and then you've got your protein <laughs> for the day. And then if they look at you like, well, <laughs> that'd be stupid, but okay, protein, soy protein, <laughs> whey isolate, whey concentrate, all those things, it actually matters. So it, it's, if it was only that simple, uh, we could just shovel whatever in our bodies, but unfortunately we're we're not all robots uh, because if we were all robots then we could just fuel ourselves like robots but we're we're biological entities and and what you eat matters
4: yes i completely agree
3: completely so then let's let's talk about in practical terms what a typical car backloading training day looks like for you like What's the most crap you've been able to eat and stay lean and maybe still gain muscle? Like, like just What do you do on a typical back-loading day? Walk people through it, because a lot of people listening to this are gonna go out and buy an armload of cherry turnovers, despite my uh, recommendations for sweet potatoes, as well as yours, (laughs) and they're gonna try this. So how do you do it on on an average day?
4: Average day, uh, wake up about six or seven in the morning. Uh, I'll have some coffee, and that's about it. Most days, especially now because I'm so busy, I I probably won't eat until eleven or twelve, and that meal will be a beef patty on a salad. Usually, it's around a pound of beef, and it's on a salad. And I'll sometimes throw a fried egg on top, maybe a little cheese, not much. Um, And then in the salad, I'm—it's not just lettuce. I'm—I throw in a bunch of vegetables just because. A, it helps with the digestion of the beef mostly, and it's another thing. The more more fiber you get in the the less usable calories you get from that that meal. So it's a way for me to feel satiated, get in nutrients I need, and also keep my caloric load kind of under control. And then the next hour I might snack on some cheese and beef, uh, cheese and turkey, something like that. I I try not to do shakes in the first half of my day anymore. I just – because if I do, I – completely get burned out on them. And then that's about it. Cottage cheese is another one of my favorites. Low fat, 2%. Uh, I'll have like a pound of cottage cheese sometimes in there. And then I'll train. I try not to eat anything two hours before training. Uh, I'll train. I usually don't have anything beforehand except maybe some some coffee or some, some sort of caffeine. And then after training... Immediately post-training, I usually have some extremely ripe bananas and I've got a protein formula and I call it a hypertrophic accelerator. It's a mixture of whey isolates, um, hydrolysates, both casein and whey hydrolysates and leucine and also micellar um, casein. And then about 30 minutes after that, on, when when my training is spot on, it might be literally – and I know this goes against the gluten thing. I might eat an entire pizza um, and then later that night have three or four turnovers. And then also you know, if if I'm eating a primarily carbs like that, then I'll include shakes in the, in the later part of the night to make sure I get in the ample fuel to help my muscles grow. So I'll have whey isolate shakes or casein-based shakes or – a lot of times I just – I like cottage cheese so much I'll eat a pound of cottage cheese, and then I'll eat the turnovers. So the, the most I've been able to, to backload and stay lean, I would say I went through this just horrible stint where I was eating out a lot, and I was going to the Cheesecake Factory I think every night. And there it's easy to have meals of four and 5,000 calories without a problem, and then I would still eat more later in the evening. And that went on for about two weeks, and I really noticed no detrimental effects whatsoever.
2: What are the most common mistakes you see people making when they try to do car backloading? It seems like pretty simple to me, but you know, I'm sure there are some things you've heard where people have done some stuff that's a little bit silly that messed up their progress.
4: There's two things that stick out. One is they completely ignore... Other facets of nutrition. So all they, when they get done working out, all they're thinking about are carbs, and they're trying to eat tubes of cookie dough. They're trying to eat pizza. They're, it, it's amazing the things try people try to stuff into themselves, and I'm not sure where that came from. There, there's no sense of adequate food needs. And of course, the cheesecake factory example is bad in my case, but you know, I carry. Probably on average, about 80 pounds more muscle than most people. So I can get away with that for a little bit longer. Um, most people can't and so but they just focus on all the crap. That's they don't care about protein, they don't care about quality, and they do that for months. You know that I, I didn't I mean, I enjoyed the food at the Cheesecake factory, but I didn't enjoy having to eat that way for that long. Um, eventually, it takes its toll. You just don't feel as good. Uh, and so people always make that mistake. They just want to gorge. And then the other is the complete opposite extreme. They don't want to eat anything that they might see in any way as bad, even ripe bananas, because they've got this idea that high glycemic foods are bad and there's all these bad recommendations. I, I feel almost responsible because I introduced this the glute conversation into the bodybuilding world. When people didn't understand it but they grabbed onto it and wanted to create their own versions, like, oh, because of glute, you should eat low-glycemic carbs all the time after training, which is the complete opposite of what you need. You need those quick-spiking carbohydrates. You don't necessarily need a dump truck full, but you you want to avoid the low-glycemic foods. So people who fail even worse are those who want to stay, quote-unquote, healthy so they're eating brown rice, they're eating whole grain breads, they're really scared to eat anything that might spike insulin levels. And then you pretty much destroy the effect of carb backloading because you're creating this long insulin window that lasts lo- far longer than it needs to. Your glucose levels are elevated far longer than they're needed and on into the night, which then also interrupts um how your hormones react as you sleep so your growth hormone has a very long delayed response it, growth hormone won't even rise in the middle of the night it goes through periodic peaks and valleys but that first peak won't occur until about two hours after insulin levels have fallen to very low levels so if you're eating low glycemic carbs particularly before bed you're extending your the amount of time without those beneficial hormones off into the night and cortisol will raise regardless so Now you've got an even worse situation because cortisol levels elevated with insulin levels at the same time, again, cause the growth of fat cells and not just existing fat cells, but can actually help stimulate satellite cells to grow into healthy adult adipose cells. So you can get even fatter. So those are the two most common mistakes, the two extremes.
3: That is uh, extremely useful info for people who are listening. And I agree with what you're saying. I think that that's, that's awesome. Now, you mentioned two mistakes, and we close all of, our, all of our interviews now with a request for your top three recommendations to help people perform better across every domain, like, like basically three sentences, not like you know, a, a paragraph on each one. Number one, number two, and number three that you can do to just kick more ass. What are your one, two, and three recommendations?
4: Uh, Number one is resistance train. Number two is skip breakfast. And number three would be to use caffeine appropriately. Love it.
3: Now tell us, where can people learn more about you? Give us your URL and how people can get with you on Facebook and Twitter, etc.
4: My main site is called DangerouslyHardcore.com, and... It's all spelled out, one word, well, one group. And from there, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, There's a contact form where people can get in touch with me. And I recently opened up forums to help people get answers to their questions from other members. There's a lot of people that have been doing this for over a year now. They have a lot of experience, and so they get to help each other as well. But my my main site is DangerouslyHardcore.com. And from there, you can ask questions, you can get answers, and you can read great material.
3: Thank you so much for being on the show today, Kiefer, and I look forward to having you on again.
4: All right. I look forward to having a conversation again. Thanks. Bye.
1: If you're looking for a way to know which foods are making you weak, check out the free app that we just released called Bulletproof Food Sense. It works by using the phone camera in order to get a measurement of your heart rate, or you can just type in your heart rate if you know what it is from some other monitoring device. You do this before a meal and you do it after a meal a couple times. And based on changes in your heart rate, the application can help you to identify which foods are causing an immune response in your body. Based on that, you can choose to avoid those foods, and you'll find a huge boost in your performance just from not eating the foods that you have sensitivities to. You'll also find that you can lose weight much more easily when you're not eating foods that cause you to feel foggy and inflamed all the time. This app is free. It's called Bulletproof Food Sense, and it's available on the iPhone store. You can also take a step further. Check out Bulletproof. HRV sense. That stands for heart rate variability sense. Bulletproof HRV sense goes a step beyond food sense and it works with a wireless heart rate monitor that goes around your chest. You wear the heart rate monitor and it'll talk to your iPhone or your tablet and it'll show you your stress levels throughout the day. It'll help you know whether you're overtrained overstressed, or even just help you know which meetings are causing the most stress in your nervous system so you can learn to take control of that stress. This is an awesome app. So number one, Bulletproof Food Sense is free. And number two, Bulletproof HRV Sense is a few dollars, and it makes a huge difference in how you manage and control your stress.
0: The human upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey.